Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. I was delighted that he agreed to the interview. Very interesting book that ties into some of my research. The author's name is Tony Russo, and he wrote a book May 25th, 2021, titled Dragged into the Light, Truthers, Reptilians, Super Soldiers, and the Death and Death Inside an Online Cult. And this is not his first book. He's written two books on beer. One is Eastern Shore Beer, The Heady History of Chesapeake Brewing, 2014, and Delaware Beer, The Story of Brewing in the First State, 2016. And the website for this book is draggedintothelightalloneword.com. So www.draggedintothelight.com. And Tony has been involved also in another podcast, which you can check out, titled that, and it's about war. It's This is War, and he did that for two years. But this book kind of came to mind. I interviewed a well-known cult expert name of, uh, by the name of Rick Ross. And when we finished up that conversation with Rick, there was a question like, what do you see on the horizon? And he said, yeah, the future is going to be some kind of internet cult or some kind of, and he mentioned some woman's name who I don't know. But I remember that interview when I was reading through this book, Dragged Into the Light, but uh, really a great book and very timely. So Tony Russo, are you there? Yes. Hi. Thank you very much. Um, I have a I have a quick fun story about Rick Ross, who I also interviewed. Um, I interviewed him for a different project that really, you know, ended up not going where I wanted it to go. Um, I was interested in um, the RSE, the Ramtha School of Enlightenment in the Pacific Northwest. And I had been trying to chase down this uh, this photographer, this man who had done all of the early um all of the early uh video for for ramtha and uh when i was talking to rick i asked him and he almost thought that i was kidding um because the man i was looking for whose name mark was mark vicente and you know as it turned out he was the he was a nexium whistleblower and he had been like all over the news and i just you know, I mean, he was about to be all over the news because Rick is kind of plugged into the cult thing. So he knew he knew that where Mark Vicente was at the time. And as it turned out, you know, he ended up being the whistleblower. But he was like an old time, you know, cult enthusiast. So Vicente was a cult shopper. He would gone from Ramtha to Nexium. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I the the connections. uh if if anyone's working on the Nexium two book, the connections between the two of them are significant. I didn't know that wasn't aware of that. And, there's a lot uh, about Nexium I didn't know. There there's a Crowley influence I didn't know. There's uh they had supposedly a space opera story like uh, Scientology. I didn't know a lot about that. Yeah, well, you know, I I think a lot of these people when they're when they're making it up as they go along, it's easier to just repackage something you've already seen or heard. I mean, right. And and that ties into this, right? It ties into all these <laughs> these little pieces that somebody put together that are floating around. But the difference between this one and maybe other cults is these are all concepts and ideas to me that were fairly recent within the last decade. Like the idea of the reptilians and the super soldiers are not something. It was a post-millennium type thing to me. Yes, but, uh, absolutely. And I think not only post-millennium, but as a result of the millennium. You know, I, I I argue in the book that the 9-11 attacks, you know, the one conspiracy theory that we can pin to an exact date is the truther movement, which began on, you know, September 12th, 2001. And the attacks, I think, shook a lot of people and made them look for answers where they wouldn't 
otherwise look. Right. So maybe you can talk. I mean, you wrote the book on beer. This story, you're kind of in the general vicinity of where many of these events, or at least one of the series events, took place. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how this story kind of came across and who the central characters are? Oh, sure. So uh, the story is about a cult leader whose name is Sherry Schreiner. And Sherry Schreiner led her cult from her kitchen in uh, eastern Ohio, about an hour outside of Columbus. And she didn't meet with her members regularly. And she didn't, um, or at all, rather, you know, she met a couple of them, but she had thousands of followers and she maybe had personally met certainly fewer than 20, likely fewer than 10. Um, and she just had this hold over people. Um, one of the things that, one of the reasons she had this hold is she really just fell right into the zeitgeist, the post 9-11 zeitgeist of the truth or movement. And she was able to put a religious spin on it. Um, and I'll get back to that when I finish the story. Um, and so the main players are uh, a young woman named Kelly Pingilly, um, who I believe Sherry drove to suicide, and um, a couple named Stephen Minio and Barbara Rogers. And this is where the story got some national attention. Um, Stephen had a falling out with Sherry. Sherry had accused Barbara of being a vampire, witch, reptilian uh, super soldier. And Stephen lost his mind. Now, this is Stephen's, probably Stephen's girlfriend, first girlfriend, possibly Stephen's first girlfriend, but definitely the first woman that Stephen lived with. And he was 32 years old. She was 42 years old. And they had this odd relationship where they took care of one another in different ways. And Stephen was like, you know, the protector. And I think he saw himself kind of as, you know, the, the philosopher of the group. He found out the hard stuff. He saw himself as like a cutting edge internet journalist, finding out where the uh, new world order was, you know, making incursions into our world. You know, he was a truther from, he, he lived within sight of the World Trade Center growing up. Um, as did I, and the, I, I know I said it already, but I have to say it again, the effect of that day, um, on, on, on the people within sight of either the twin towers or, or of the Pentagon, I, I don't think can be, can be under understated. Right. Super traumatic. So people have a different response to whether 19 terrorists did it or the new world order did it. It's still a traumatic event. 3000 people died, yes. but she, Sherry, can you talk about really how she put her ideas in the cult? Because she really saw her, she so-called deny it, like I'm, I'm not taking this uh, throne, but she really saw herself as somebody very important. I think you can see her background. She went through Liberty University. So she definitely was a Christian or a fringe Christian. Christian yes. Right? Well, she was, she was raised Baptist. She went to Baptist high school and then she went to Liberty College and you see Sherry just drifting farther and farther to the right um, until it becomes clear to her, as, because, as it eventually becomes clear to many of the people we call it evangelical Christians, that the traditional churches have or are failing. And there has to be another way to explain things. One of, one of my theses is that two things happen. 
so after the 9-11 attacks, people said, okay, this is the beginning of the apocalypse. The world will end in 10 years. And then when we elected our first black president, that became the kind of certainty that you think of as the sun coming out tomorrow. And when the world didn't end in 2011, I think people were absolutely shocked. And you see, this is when all of these conspiracy theories really kick into high gear. It's during the, 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 the uh, 2012 election and all of these fringe movements are starting to gain attention in the mainstream. And Sherry was again, kind of at the forefront of that as far as, as far as seeing where things were going and making them her own. I don't know how much she stole and how much, or how much she, she like lifted, but she did write books. So she was, I think you wrote in your book, she was really influenced by the Bible code. So she thought there was the secret code in the Bible and she wrote about it, right? She, yes. she has books, Bible codes reveal the coming UFO invasion. So she's got the Bible view and it's kind of the evangelical view. You mentioned in your book that aliens are demons, right? Right. So there, so the Bible code was a, a book written by, you know, a legitimate, if misguided, journalist um, that said that uh, aliens, time-traveling aliens, had been the ones to write the Bible, and in the Bible they left messages for us about our history. Um, Sherry, that idea really appealed to Sherry, but there's a problem for many uh, evangelicals, evangelicals, and that is that aliens, there can't be such a thing as aliens because that implies evolution, you know, therefore it can't be true, but they see aliens and they believe in the presence of aliens on this planet. So as a result, they have to, they have to re-engineer it. And what many, and this is not, this is not just Sherry. There are Baptists who believe this, um, that aliens are actually demons. Um, they are from another dimension. That dimension is hell, but they're not from outer space. They're not from other planets. And that was Sherry's real big in because once she was able to, to first, so first that she was on the truther, you know, the truther train, and then she picked up the Bible codes, which, you know, helped her to get some um, biblical <laughs> legitimacy, you know, and then she added, to make the Bible codes legitimate, she added that aliens, yes, that yes, there were aliens, yes, they provided the Bible codes, but they were either angels or demons. In this case, they would have been angels that provided the Bible codes. Right. Um, but so she had this angel demon thing, and I think she said her one time in your book, like three quarters of the people are shape shifting aliens. So you that's what she was putting out. I think she was on Blog Talk Radio, which is really one of the first earliest kind of blogging things and she was on facebook and you i think it was either in your book or i saw it either in the documentary you were in where they like she had a, a, a active facebook post but um yeah so yeah what is she she was god's ambassador on earth right so she talked to god that yes. was kind of her thing yeah. right and what and as her as her myth and power grew she eventually claimed that she was actually god's daughter that she had been with baby Jesus and baby Lucifer 
as baby angels together. And that's, that's really in the book. And it's, uh, it's, it's a hard read. That's a interview with the devil. And that was her, her final book. And in that she claims to have been transported to heaven, to have an interview with Lucifer and that God was going to make Lucifer tell the truth during the interview. Right. And that's actually kind of like the Mormon thing is that Christ and Satan were spirit brothers in the pre-existence. So it has a little flavor, a little sprinkling of that. Um, and, and if you're a Mormon, if, if you're, if you're in what I, I want to call here, like normal religions, religions with, with names, right. With specific like Baptists, uh, first day Advent, seventh day Adventists, you know, if you're in a group like that, and then you hear this slight, different interpretation and you're looking for a, a higher truth that you don't feel you're getting in your traditional church stuff like that really appeals you know she hit a lot of the old testament with just enough of a twist that it appeals to people who might otherwise not be interested right and i think that's the theme of your book is that the old religion doesn't seem to stick and so her things were very contemporary she was seeding her ideas, super soldier, reptilians, uh, uh, clones, right? So, um, yeah, it was really something else how she put all together. And then she threw in another thing into the stew, some Wilhelm Reich, too, right? Yes, the Wilhelm Reich. Um, I don't know. Have you have you gotten a Wilhelm Reich before? On, on uh, well, I have vaguely. He was, he was actually kind of important on the left. I remember... Uh, Robert Anton Wilson writing about Reich and Orgon and also yeah. Burroughs. So the, they picked it up on the kind of uh, the new occult kind of uh, post-war ideas, but I don't and know what, where she. And, and that was, that was the genius of it. So there is this new age entity energy. It's called Orgon energy. And it was invented by, um, by this gentleman, his name is Wilhelm Reich. And he's a legitimate doctor. He's a he's a he's a he's a psychologist. I'm sorry. He's a psychiatrist. He works with Freud. You know, he is the one who described um, sexual repression and how sexual repression can have mental effects. I mean, so this is a this is a guy like he still believe that. Right. So this is a guy who is doing real work. And he thought he happened on a new kind of energy. Now, this is during the atomic age. So. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe it is, but it wasn't, and he was eventually sent to jail as a fraud. <clears throat> um, the new the new age picks this up. William H. S. Burroughs. Um, lots of people start to use these orgone accumulator boxes, and a man in the Pacific Northwest starts to put together a group of people, and this was the best thing I think that ever happened to Sherry Schreiner. So was he put Dan together, Croft. Is that was the guy's name? Dan uh, yes. And um, he put this uh, group together that would go out and put orgone around cell phone towers. And the idea was that it was that cell cell phone towers put out bad energy and orgone energy was good energy. And Sherry loved that idea. And she literally stole it from him. Right. And you can see there right here, the cell phone tower predominantly in the background here on your, in your book cover. So that's an important theme of the book is this kind of organ and how her followers thought they were on the cutting edge of, uh, 
you know, this new post-truther kind of world. Like they were fight war angels in the flesh and fighting the new world order and finding bases, underground bases and stuff. It was just too much. It it really is. And it's so easy to get caught up in that. But that's one of the things that they would do. So once Sherry stole this idea uh, from Don Croft, uh, she repurposed it. She said that Orgone was a gift from God and that the new age had stolen it, but she was taking it back. It's just wonderful. And after that, she began to get people to go out and go on what they called orgone missions. And this is putting orgone in places that Satan was likely to attack or putting them around cell phone towers. I'm dying to take a day and just go to some cell phone towers in Ohio and see if I can find one, because that would just be a great experience. And so they were making orgone. So they had to make these, you call them pucks and blasters. Yes. It's almost like it's something out of Star Trek. It's like a sci-fi element to it. So they have to create the organ accumulator, then put it out. So it's just too much. Did you know how big her group got? Was there ever a guesstimate or anything? No, about I, I, I don't think it was. I think, I think at her height. So there are there are like three different tiers. Like people who have listened to a Sherry Shriner show, that number is probably in the hundreds of thousands. People who listened regularly was probably between, I would guess between 10 and 50,000. You know, she was getting, she had at least 8,000 quote paying unquote followers. Um, when she, uh, when she died, spoilers, I'm, I'm sorry, but there's no other way to say it. She had um, in her GoFundMe account alone, uh, she had more than $125,000 and that's not counting her Patreon or her PayPal pay me um, or donate button or her or the money that she got. She got checks and cash in the mail uh, regularly. So there's no telling how much money she made, but she made it by either telling people to make their own orgone or making it and sending it to them. And uh, they're called our orgone pucks, but they're really, she made them in uh, cupcake trays. So if you can imagine like a molten upside down cupcake, almost like one of those old glass, things that they use to transmit electricity now that i think about it and she encouraged people to take the money they were giving to their old church and transfer it to her so she really saw herself as a ministry right oh she absolutely did and and that was that was a claim that she made regularly she said you know i know a lot of you are still wasting your time going to church if it makes you feel better go but they're not doing anything with the money i'm using the money to fight satan literally hand-to-hand combat fighting with satan why aren't you supporting this and that was just like is almost like a voice from the wilderness like so you had very little contact of any contact with her followers just shooting out two internet speeches a week on blog talk radio and that i mean and then communicating but also she still kind of fiddled around with people's minds would you agree with that oh yeah no i i, I absolutely i that was the thing the thing was to keep people off balance, to keep people terrified all the time that the NWO was coming for them. Right. So she talked about like Rahm Emanuel was going to have a false flag in 2011 and the Battle of Fort Knox. There were just all of these events she had where she had to just be ramping up the kind of uh, psychological fervor of her followers about these great new events that were happening. Right. 
Absolutely. Um, if I could just briefly mention the Battle of Fort Knox, because it's still relevant today. Um, she and several of her warriors literally drove to Fort Knox. They literally ran around in the woods there and claimed to have fought, fought aliens and to have say and to have killed a brain that was being kept in a jar and to have saved some turtle people. I have four different accounts of the story and they all are they're all so close but different enough that it's just like if you ask four different people what really happened, you know? Um and the reason I I say that is because the the 2020 Christmas bomber, you know, they reported that he was claiming to go out into the the woods and fight aliens and and this is almost certainly what he was doing and that was the guy who i think it was in nashville was that right yes right the nashville bomber had these really weird like these ideas like he had something this modern internet cult ideas that i mean and you can see you use these examples of this girl kelly pingilly pingilly and minio how their minds had to have just been almost like a Scientologist, like this would be Shinerology, like they they were in all the way and it and ruined them. I mean, these are just two examples. Well, and it ruined them because she kicked them out. And that is that was Sherry's really interesting thing. She would kick out people for no reason and claim that it was because they were FBI agents or CIA agents or aliens or demons or whatever. And it did two things. It made everyone suspicious of everyone else, but it also drove home the fact that she was under attack from the government, you know, right. right. The so, government was sending spies and that some of the, some of the people you think are your friends are really spies sent by the government to hurt or kill me or to make me look bad. Right. And so she would kick out people who were paying. There's one gentleman that got kicked out. He paid her 50, 52, you know, 50, $5,500 a year. Yeah, you know, $100, uh, $100 a week was what he was sending. Wow. You know, that's, uh, and he just, and she just kicked him out for no reason. She for nothing. His wife, his wife was a spy and you're out. Actually, the idea was that he would either leave the wife, which happened a couple of times, or he would be out. And, you know, and no there was, one, sorry, ahead. please continue. Very few people are crazy enough to literally just divorce their wife over what Sherry told them to do. And there's kind of like in a lot of cults, there's ex members that are ex Shriners who have grouped together, right? Who have kind of gone through and realized something, something was amiss. Yes, but it is so. It is so strange. There's a group who call, call themselves the curbside warriors because they were Oregon warriors who were kicked to the curb. Um, and they really just want things to go back to the way they were. They really just want to not have been kicked out. And so they're asking themselves questions like, is Sherry really a reptilian? Was Sherry killed and this is her clone? Like they didn't stop believing even after she said, you are a reptile. And, you know, this one guy, Mike Hall, who was accused of being in the CIA. I mean, he knows he wasn't in the CIA. He's Canadian. <laughs> right. And, so there and, were all kinds of lies like that. There was this thing you found out, like she said, the Super Bowl was going to get bombed at Candlestick, but there was no game there. You could prove that. She was making it up. Yes. 
and nobody cared because there's the bigger picture you know she she may not be factually right but she's telling the truth you know that again really appeals to to people who are looking for something higher um deeper more complex and again you have to remember if you're charged with literally winning the war of armageddon you're important you know you're not some schmuck in your basement posting garbage on the internet you're you're fighting a war for the soul of humanity you know that makes it a little easier to look at yourself in the mirror every day um, right i mean it really is incredible she had that fake name to queen shazarazi so yes. she, they have this very ornate kind of worldview. And you taught, you know, another theme in your book is alternate reality. Like she and her followers were in a completely different matrix of, of looking at the world after listening to her stuff, I think. Yes. And they, and, and that's the, like, I, 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 I hate to quote myself, but I, I, I really couldn't find a better way to say it. You know, if you think that I'm possessed by a demon, we are living in two different realities. You know, it's not, it's not a difference of opinion. You know, it's not, we can agree to disagree. You know, I, if I can be gross again, and I apologize, there was a gentleman, uh, the, the Christian surf school teacher who killed his two children um, in California. This is maybe a month ago, maybe a little bit more. And he knew he was killing his children and he knew he was going to jail for it. But he also knew that they had demon souls and that it, he was saving the world, you know, right. and we don't take this seriously enough because, you know, we think that, Oh, well, he thinks that there's demons. Isn't that kooky? It's, it's, it's way more, it's so much more than kooky. You know, it's, it's a little terrifying. Right. But in China's thing, you were a literal demon. You weren't just possessed. This was a demon in the flesh, right? It's some right. People. Right. And so, uh, oftentimes they would say you were a reptile and that meant that you were an actual reptilian overlord type wearing human skin. Right. Um, you know, David Icke is the the big guy in England who who's, I think, the most famous for believing that. Right. Or spreading that out there. And so the consequences are very severe. Like you have stories in your book that are terrifying, but some of these stories, you don't know what's how that's permeating society. And how many people, how many kids have been lost, how many susceptible people. And one of the things, like another theme in your book is the loneliness and kind of aimlessness of these people looking for something. So, like, they found something in Shriner. Like, they found that cause, that uh, something to it to really gave them meaning. So, yes, it, there's, you're not, sad, sad. yeah, just not being alone, being a part of something bigger. I mean, one of the things that Mike Hall actually said was what he missed most about being in, in, you know, in with Sherry. He he, they would never call it a cult. Um, what he missed most about being with Sherry was this idea that he was important, that he was doing things. You know, it's the people would there were I, there's a gentleman I I I shared some of his posts so he took them down and I guess that was kind of mean of me but he would sing he would make up praise songs he would sing songs about Sherry and put them put them online you know it was one of the things I I, I highlighted a sentence from your book I'm going to repeat it but it was uh, one of my takeaways from speaking to Shrinerites you call them Shrinerites. One of my takeaways from speaking to Shrinerites and other fringe evangelical sects 
is how they behave like the churches they despise. Yes, absolutely. They are they they have rules now all of a sudden, and it's not just everybody can think whatever they want. They are right, and everyone else is wrong, and there's rules for being involved, and you can't deviate from them. Right. So very orthodox, like and and Shriner is it. Her word is truth. So yes. she would do the classic kind of cult behavior: love bombing. You're in great, and then creating dissension within the system and, and solidifying our power at the same time. Tons of mind tricks, mind games and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you were also in this documentary. There was a vice documentary. If people want to see some pictures and stuff, definitely here to me, you are the most important person in that documentary on vice about the story, but you can see the Poconos like this character. Minio went to the Poconos because Shriner said that was going to be the safest place, right? And absolutely. She had been on there, been there on vacation a couple of times. And she said that you wanted to be in more of a rural setting because the cities were going to go first. You know, I, I actually I mean, I don't think lots of people disagree with that. <laughs> but, you know, and this is, again, post 9-11. And this is actually more like 2017. So Stephen's been in the group for a while and he meets this girl. They uh there are there have been reports that Barbara didn't get along well with um, Stephen's uh, dad and um, and that they, you know, they kind of boogied off. They were looking for a place to stay. So they moved to uh, Tobihanna, Pennsylvania, which is in which is in the Poconos. And I went to the town and it's uh, it's kind of like this weird. If you've ever been to a resort area, there are always pockets of locals you know in in the mix and toby hannah was a mostly locals kind of town and you know there was uh it was a little it was it was a little depressed um but it was right by scranton which is you know which is scranton so it's it's got like the cool downtown and things like that um so being there they were just with one another and all they were doing was drinking and going on orgone missions. Um, Barbara had uh, been discharged honorably for medical reasons. The medical reasons were that she was um, bipolar and beyond uh, beyond medicating so that she could serve. So they um, they they discharged her. So she got a she got a check every month and that's pretty much what they were living on. Stephen would find things and fix them and sell them on eBay. But um, that was uh... right, and doing all the stuff, still involved, and still still in that environment of this under the kind of spell of Shriner and on their world. Like he was really active. He was building flags and putting you know orgone pucks and stuff around. I mean, really, and building orgone, and it's really kind of hapless. Like there was something real sad. Like you said, he was sweet. Uh, people described him as sweet, but he 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 just it just it was a. Uh, he went down a path that I wouldn't recommend anybody goes down of like pure internet paranoia. And and it really was what I always say about Stephen is that had he lived, he certainly would have been in Washington DC on, on January 6th. He was just broken by fear. I think might be the best way broken by anxiety more than, more than fear. It was dread, you know, and it just, it just he couldn't look at the world and think that everything was bad. 
But when you look at the world and everything that's bad, you're like, okay, I know that's bad, but that's because the devil is here and I have to fight him. Then you have some agency in the ugliness. You know, you can you can make the world less ugly and, you know, not by feeding the poor, <laughs> not by cleaning the street, not by going shopping for an old neighbor, but by making crystals and hiding them. Right. to make it harder for the devil to cause evil. It, it kind of reminded me of kind of QAnon, this kind of modern fantasy world. And if you talk to QAnoners, they know that it's fake, but they want to believe. So a lot of the crap they talk about, stuff they talk about, there's, I mean, I've seen interviews with Q, and I've done interviews on books about QAnoners, and there's a real... Uh, sense of they they prevent belief like believing the facts like they like their kind of alternate LARPing reality as Lee Veltman calls them LARPers they like that and I saw that in the case with these Shriners too like wow well it's it's funny that you mentioned that I had to make an editorial decision and I made a bad one I said listen you don't want to write about QAnon because nobody knows what that is <laughs> and then the book went to print. <laughs> and then, you know, by the time by the time I was in the final drafting stages, really, you know, QAnon was now in the news. So I stuck them. I mentioned them briefly in the in the introduction to the book. But uh, these are QAnon ideas. The, these are these are all if you've been following QAnon, there's very little in this book as far as conspiracy. That's going to surprise you. You'll see that they tie. They take all these different conspiracies and believe it them all at once, even if they happen to be contradictory. Like contradiction doesn't bother a truther. Right. So. Or it doesn't bother them. And in your in the documentary you were in on Vice, there was a, a audio of Schreiner looking at Barbara, who had just been arrested, and saying, This is her fourth clone. This is definitely not her. And I've seen that in the internet where like people are fake or been replaced. But not she wasn't just a second clone. Barbara was the fourth clone. I mean, it was just incredible what she's putting out there without any circumspection. It's off the charts. Yeah. I'm sorry. I thought they were. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I mean, we're right now in about 35 minutes. How would you like to wrap it up? I mean, there's deaths that associate that, you know, that are associated with the Shiner group. We didn't go into detail about that, but just oh. the scariness. It merely kind of is a harrowing book in the sense that. These people really went down a, a far road that ended bad. And I also did another interview with the guy who was the, uh, he was also kind of in the, he wasn't a Shriner, but he got so far into conspiracies that it ruined his life. He just did not, and he, ah, man. So there, there's really dangers, there's perils out there today with kind of these internet cults and internet ideas. Yeah, well, I do want to I do want to do the 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 book setup because I I derailed myself earlier and I never found my way back. So Stephen Minio was actually shot in the head, possibly by Barbara Rogers, possibly by himself. Um, and it was after Sherry had told Stephen that Barbara was going to kill him. Um, Bar Steve Sherry said that to Stephen. Stephen left the cult, and two months later he was dead. And this just made it easier for Sherry to say, see, I am a real prophet. It validated her, right? Wow. Yeah. In the Poconos, I mean, yeah, there's a, this is a definitely a cautionary tale. Um, 
What? Where's the best place for people to get dragged into the light? Well, I mean, you can, you know, you can buy it from your local books bookstore. There's a place called bookshop.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're if you're into that kind of support, the local bookstore stop thing, you can you can buy it on bookshop and they'll send a couple bucks to your local bookstore. Oh, nice. um, or you can you can get it on Amazon. I'm I'm not ashamed to say that my book's on Amazon. <laughs> and your other books too. And then your uh, you did two years of podcasting too, right? This is war. Yes, um, this is war. I, I interviewed combat veterans about their experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's not bingeable, um, and I think that's one of the reasons it's not on the air anymore. It's it's you know it's it prepared me for this book in that what you. I don't want to use the word empathy because it it's not empathy. It's believing that they believe, you know, putting yourself in their shoes so that you understand that their feelings are real, which is different from feeling their feelings, but learning to feel that learning to believe that someone's beliefs are real, that they believe things they believe in the same way that you believe them just makes it easier. It makes it easier to understand, you know, not to understand, not even to accept, but laughing at someone because they think the president is a reptile, isn't going to make things better. It's not going to help. You know, we, we have to find a way to, 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 bring these people back from the edge a little bit if we can yeah and these these are stories of people who went over the edge i mean it's amazing great book too very timely again the title of the book is dragged into the light truthers reptilians super soldiers and the and death inside an online cult by tony russo and his website again is www.draggedintothelight.com so you can check that out there and you have your contact information through your website correct Absolutely. And uh, in social media, I'm all by B-Y, Tony, T-O-N-Y, Russo. Yeah. Right. And you publish on Substack too, right? Or do I articles? do. I have a Substack. Um, and I write a lot about this book um, on my Substack. It's, uh, I'm actually preparing a podcast for, uh, for mid-November that's going to um, deal with the book and with the other writing that I'm doing about cults and things like that. So do you have other projects on cults coming up? My next book Pretty is old. actually going to be um, a war memoir from one of the gentlemen that I didn't get to interview during uh, during the This Is War podcast. He reached out to me, and I'm I'm writing his helping him write his war memoir. I think, and then after that, yeah, back into cults. I want to talk about Nisera, um, the National Economic Reset. Right, and that was that was a theme in your book. That acronym you used, Nisera, too. That yes. was like something that was on its way. Yes. That's what I was working on when I started this. So, gotcha. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, you've done a lot of writing for that area too, right around what uh, Delaware. Yeah, I live on the Delmarva Peninsula, um, which is the place where Delaware and Maryland touch near the ocean. Um, and uh, yes, I, I'm a, I'm a journalist, so I, I I cover local things, I cover regional things. Um, I like to write. You know, it's funny people ask what your what what's my hobby? My my hobby's writing. So, <laughs> so you've had a lot of output because there's a lot of, you've done a lot of local writing for uh, newspapers too. Yeah. If it's been in print on the Delmarva Peninsula, I've written for it. Gotcha. Um, a lot of local stuff. Yeah. Again, author's name is Tony Russo. Book title is Dragged Into the Light, Truthers, Reptilian, Super Soldiers, and Death Inside an Online Cult. Thank you so much, Tony. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. All for right, Stay there. Yeah, my pleasure. Stay there. All right. That's perfect.